Good morning. How are you all? Everybody's doing well, I hope. All right. Let me get a few things in order here because I want to go and get something. I am excited about being here because I could have been someplace else. I told them earlier, I had somebody uh, ask me to go over to uh, Atlanta to Santa Claus School, and I know some of you might laugh, is there a school for Santa? Yes, there are. And uh, I've got a friend over there that invited me, but he invited me after Natalie invited me. And so I said, I'm not going, I'm going to come down here. And so not only here, I get to go tonight to Barton Baptist Church up in uh, Loosedale and help them to start an Awana ministry there. Uh, and so I'm excited about being here today. My wife and my son are at home, so please be in prayer for Kathy and Jonas. They're at church already this morning. And uh, she, she enjoyed COVID Awana because the missionary stayed at home during COVID Awana, and we had Brady Bunch COVID Awana uh, through Zoom uh, online and all. And so when Natalie called me, I was like, yes, I am ready to get out and ready to travel all across the states of Mississippi and West Tennessee. I have a large territory. It goes from the Kentucky state line all the way down to the Gulf Coast region. So we have about 132 churches that use the Awana ministry to disciple their children. And one of the greatest gifts that I get to do, uh, joys in my heart, is to be able to, to give out awards. I think awards are really awesome for great accomplishments and achievements that, that take long, long periods of time. And uh, so this morning we're going to have an award that's going to be issued to somebody that has, has studied for a long, long time. I understand this young fella has been in this church since he was about six months old. And so I can imagine how many Bible verses that he has heard over that time, but the ones that I know... For him to achieve this award that he's going to receive, he had to have memorized at some point in time. Now, whether he remembers every single one of them, that's up to him and God. I believe he probably knows many of them, uh, but a little over 815 Bible verses is what he would have had to have done from third grade to 12th grade. And it's called a citation award. And so, if you'll bear with me one minute, I'll walk back here and get this worn column. Would you please come up here, please? Um, and from what I understand, you're the fourth yes. siblings. The fourth, four siblings have received this award called the Citation Award. Could not be more excited for him. Now, in time past, Tawana had a, a, a place up at headquarters. Um, we had a building up there, just so you know, and there was this big wall of all of these names of every single year that somebody would receive that. That building has been put on the market for sale because of covid I don't know where they're going to put those names in archive, but I know that they'll have something, I'm sure, on there. But I did want to issue this. This is amazing. Do you know how many times you would have had to come to Awana? And how old are you? 18. 18. So you've been coming since you were six months old because your parents were working in Awana back then, right? Okay. So uh, I'm not the best mathematician, but we do it about 30 to 32 times a year. Okay. So if it, where's my mathematician? 18 years times 30. What does that come out today? Really? All these scientists and rock, rock, you know, all these folks. All right, come on. Uh, this, right? 540 times through the doors. Let's take off 10% for vacations and this, that, and the other. So nearly 500 times you came to hide God's word in your heart. And I'm just so, so proud to be able to present this award to you. I really thank you for your hard work. And don't stop here. Don't stop here. Thank you so very much. We're going to get a picture. I know Mom wants a picture back there, I'm sure. We'll get another one down there. Thank you so much. And so, I don't know what he's going to do for life after he leaves, you know, 18. I don't know if he's, what he's going to do, where he's going to go, but I know the Word of God is going to help him every step of the way. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, I, I, I wish that I had had a computer that I could have printed this off. That I explained earlier to the folks that my computer had kind of somewhat crashed a little bit, had some kind of an issue with it, and had a lot of work uh, that needed to be done. So I don't have a handout for you to fill out, but I will tell you that there are 12 points to my sermon, okay? And he told me that an hour and a half is generally about what it takes for y'all. No, I'm just kidding right now. He didn't tell me that. So... But I will say, I will work through these relatively quickly, but I also want you to be able to write them down. So, so each one is going to have a couple of words 
in each line. So if you want to write down in the back of your bulletin or something like that, um, each one is going to have uh, something to, that's going to it's going to have a Bible verse to back it up, but it's going to have some words to know, what I would call words to know. And let's uh, let's open up with a word of prayer, Father. I pray that you uh, would take any jitters that I might have and any nervousness about being in the pulpit away from me, Father. I know that you're here with us, and God, I know what you've given me to speak today. And I pray that it would help not just Warren, and, and I pray that it would help each of us, Father. If there's areas of our lives that we need to correct, if there's areas in our lives that we need some adjustments, and Father, may your word today uh, be soft and gentle on our hearts. And Lord, we just love you, and we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. And we pray in your precious name. Amen. And I really appreciate the, the, the message um, of the gospel. I don't know when is the last time that you personally shared the gospel with another person. If it's been a while, it's probably time. If you've never done it, it's past time. But the wonderful thing is it's never too late. And so I'm going to talk to you today about what good is God's Word. So the 12 benefits of God's Word. God's Word invites me to know God more intimately. And when I look at the Bible verses that go along with that, um, I, I think about John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and He beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to this earth so that He could save man. And how'd that happen? Well, He gave His life up. He died on the cross to save each of us from our sins. And so, He wanted us to get to know Him. God wants us to get to know Him more intimately. And He did that through His Son, Jesus. Number two, God's Word shows me the reality of my situation. The reality of my situation. In Psalm 119, 160, the Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. What is the reality of my situation? We're going to talk about the heart in a moment, but the reality of my situation is that I was born a sinner. You were born a sinner. There was no choice over that in your life. That choice was made long, long, long times ago. And everyone born since that choice was made was born a sinner. And so when you were born into that sin, there was a destination that you were going to meet. And that was separation from God forever and ever and ever. That's the reality of your life without Christ. But if you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you put your faith and trust in Him, and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins, you repent of those sins, and you turn the other direction, it's not to say that once that happens that you're never going to sin again. You will, because you're still in this fleshly body. But that is to say that when you sin, there should be conviction in your heart. We're going to talk about that. Because the next verse says, God's Word shows me the reality of my heart. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When I think about the heart, I think about Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful. Above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, you don't teach children, well, we shouldn't teach children to lie. You don't teach children to steal. We shouldn't teach children to steal. But sometimes, they learn more on accident, then we try to teach them on purpose. Sometimes they they look at our actions and they hear our words, and it, it makes me think of a time when one of my pastors, he led me to the Lord 31 years ago, July the 30th. I can remember him preaching a sermon one day and he was talking about truth. Tell them the truth every time. Sometimes spouses don't necessarily want to hear the truth from their spouse be it a, a sweet lady who's wanting the truth about the way this dress makes me look, or a man who's asking his wife, hey, how did I do in this particular thing? And they don't want to hear the truth. And so one day the pastor said, uh, somebody called his house and asked if the pastor was there, and he told his little boy, hey, tell him I'm in the shower, because I didn't want to talk to them right now, he said. See, pastors, they don't get off days. Now, they may not be in the building, but they're never off, right? 
And his son looked at him and said, my daddy told me to tell you in the shower, but he's in the chair in the living room. And his father, it reminds me of when Andy Griffith told Opie, you know, now you was trying to sell that bike and that wasn't right. You was not telling him the whole truth about that bike. But then Andy wanted to sell the house and Opie came downstairs and started talking about all the leaks and all this, that in the house, right? And the sound that the water makes when you turn it on. If you haven't seen that episode, it's pretty convicting. And so the pastor from that moment forward said, hmm, I've got to watch what I'm saying because he's listening. So the next time the phone rang that he didn't want to talk to anybody, he said, I got up and I walked into the shower and I got inside the shower and said, tell him I'm in the shower. All right? He's being truthful and honest. God knows the intents of our heart. Right? He knows what you're doing. He knows why you are choosing to do whatever it is that you're doing. He can sense and see inside your heart. Number four, God's Word shows me how life was meant to be lived. In 2 Peter 3, uh, 1-3, it says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to the glory and virtue. You want to know how you're supposed to live your life? Open up the instruction. You want to know how to put together a thing? Open up the instruction manual. Guys, We generally have problems with instruction manuals. We look at them with the simplicity of how they should go together, and we sit there and try to put them together, and our wives sweetly say, what are all these screws left over for? Right? And then we wonder why it doesn't spin quite as well. Then we wonder why it doesn't move quite as fast. Ladies, I'll get to you in a minute. I know I'm going to walk very softly. But there's times that we make these decisions without really going to the source. And long ago, a pastor shared this scripture with me, and long ago he used the acronym B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. This is our instruction manual. If we apply these instructions in our lives, in our walk on a daily basis, we will generally have a good life. Now, goodness isn't going to get you to heaven. So I'm not saying that people that just read their Bible who've never come to a point of conviction of their sin and have asked Jesus to forgive them of their sin are going to read this and then when they die because they read this, they get to go to heaven. That's not what God is about. It's not what He said. He said, no one comes unto the Father but by Me. So you, so it's almost like you, you have to keep this in mind. If you're here today, and I don't know any of y'all, few of you, all right? But I don't know your heart. God does. So if you're here today or you're listening and watching and you've never come to a point where you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, listen, when he says that you can't get to heaven without going through Jesus, it's like going to bat and you hit a ball and the ball goes way out in right field and, and, and you're running to first base, but your foot kind of just kind of slides over like that over first base. Everyone on the camera saw it. You hit second, you hit third, you think you got an inside the park home run. What's the umpire going to say? You're out. Why are you out? Because you didn't touch first base with your foot. Jesus is the first base in order to get into heaven. You can't get there without going through Him. And you can't find that out unless somebody shares that with you. And if you have that information... Why are you not sharing it with others? Why would you hold that in? Pastor, sometimes I don't get invited back a second time for telling the truth and love the first time, but I do it no matter what. Listen, I'm convicted of this at times. When, when, when God impresses upon my heart to share the Word of God with somebody else, and then I drive away, I sometimes find myself turning around and going back and being obedient. Sometimes I find myself pushing through and being disobedient. Because if He tells us to do it, I have an obligation to do it. That's what He asked me to do, and I should. God's Word, number five, shows me how to grow up spiritually. In 2 Peter 2.2 it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. 
And in Second, I'm sorry, in Second uh, uh, Peter three eighteen, it says, "But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever." Amen. This young man came in as a six month baby, and they kept bringing him and bringing him and bringing him and bringing him. And when he first came in, he was probably hearing words like, "God loved us." That's a cubby verse. God loved us. And then he gets a little bit bigger, and they give them a little bit more of the Bible verses. And, 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 and then before long, he's memorizing passages of Scripture. I dare say this young man probably knows many more Bible verses than we in our congregations across America now. If you've not memorized God's Word lately, you're missing out on a great blessing. He's commanded us to do this. We'll talk about that in a moment. God's Word guides me through life. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to know which way to go? Ask Him. Find out what He wants you to do. Get in on God's perfect will. Don't settle for His permissive will. If, he, if you come to a crossroad on a decision, God, if I go this way, I get this job and do this. If I go this way, I do that. And God clearly tells you in your spirit through reading and prayer and study and others that you put around yourselves and the wisdom that you gain from the multitude of counsel. If God says go this way and you choose to go this way, it's like putting a tennis shoe in a clothes dryer. If you find yourself in God's permissive will, God can do some stuff, folks, to get your attention and bring you back to His perfect will. God's word, number seven, provides stability in the storms. In Matthew 7, 24 through 25, now this takes a little bit longer here. It says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. I always get nervous about that one down here on the Gulf Coast, because you all know a little bit about that. Storm beating against the house, right? I don't know what storm you're in. And I don't know what storm you may have just come out of. And I don't know what storm that lies ahead. I looked up a word when I was trying to find out about stability. and I love synonyms and things like that. And so here's another word for it. Gyroscopic. Does anybody know what gyroscopic means? What does gyroscopically mean? Anybody in here? Well, let me just say this. If you go on a cruise anytime soon, you want that ship to have good gyroscopics because it will keep it upright. You watch some of these ships that are out there on, on the Alaska uh, crab hunting and all that stuff. Man, these ships, you're just watching them and they're just about to turn completely over. It's really hard to really turn it completely over. But let me tell you something. If the gyroscopics don't work, it's going to flip going to roll. You think about when you get inside when they're trying to get the people in NASA kind of used to you know the, 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 the roles and all that can take place. And so they put them in this contraption and they set them there and this thing just starts turning this way and this way and this way and this way. Some of your lives might feel like that right now. I just don't know. I cannot see north. I can't see true north. I keep seeing this, I keep feeling this, I keep hearing this, I keep doing other things. God is your gyroscopic. God is the one that wants to bring you back to where you need to be. Number eight, God's Word calls me to purity and holiness. I told you it was going to take us over there. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Are you hiding God's Word in your heart? Even as an Awana missionary, I have been guilty of years that I did not hide His Word in my heart like I was supposed to. I have an app on my phone now, and I'm so thankful because this app is called Verse Locker. Verse Locker. And it's got a picture of a lock with a heart inside of it. Okay? Now, you can't see that from here. Alright? Most of you can't see this. But this is the first letter okay, of every word in the passage of Scripture from Galatians 5, 1-26. Last year, they asked us, again, to memorize God's Word. Every year they go through a passage of Scripture, Awana headquarters staff, and missionaries in the field. And so we go on Zoom every Wednesday morning from 9 o'clock to roughly 9.20, 
And we quote God's Word to each other. Okay? Well, it's been hard for me all of my life. I have um, reading deficiencies. Comprehension is hard for me. And so I, I did not really want to be a part of this. And I would give excuse year after year. But then I began to think about the little boys and girls that are going to come into your wanna club. They too have these problems. I'm 59, I still have them. But I have no excuse. I still have to work for it, right? I still have to try. And so one of the things they do here, this method is called first letter. First letter, okay? And because of that, I was able to go through all 26 Bible verses because of that help. I can look at this now, alright? Brother, brother, you see the letters on there? I know it's a little far away, right? It's nothing but a bunch of letters. There's no words on here. There's no words. It's just letters. But when I look at it now, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. But I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testified again to every man that is in Christ that he, or that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Folks, that didn't come easily. And that is not telling you that I'm, I'm proud of it, but I'm not prideful about it. That came because I took the time to open up his word, sat down week after week after week. I heard other people sharing the word with me. I listened to them. I watched them. I watched the words going across the screen. And I'm a kinetic learner, so I'm sitting there fumbling with stuff and playing with stuff. And when, when your kids are sitting there and you're thinking, that they don't listen to you, they don't know what's going on because they're sitting there with a fidget spinner. Hey, we do. We just don't learn it the way that you learn it. So when the TV's blaring in the other room and it's driving you nuts because you learn in peace and quiet, take yourself to another room and let the one who needs that noise, let the one who needs to fidget, let the learner who needs to learn different than you, learn it different than you. Number nine, God's Word calls me to action for God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's Word is helping us to walk out these doors and take this message to a lost and dying world. And tell them about Jesus so that they will not be separated from Him when they die. And if we're not doing that, then we should be. Why are we not? We have banker friends. We have doctors. We have lawyers. We have nurses. We have school teachers. We have the person at Chick-fil-A. How much time out of your day could it possibly take you to just learn some Bible verses to teach them what they knew to be saved, what they need to know to be saved. That's what He's doing this for. That's the reason that you're coming to church. It's so that you can be thoroughly equipped and furnished, ready to go out and share this news with others. Number 10, God's Word teaches me how to relate to others. Now there's some sub-points in here. God's Word tells us what He likes for us to do. A, know how, uh, how to know God's love and love God. From Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. God shows us how to love other believers. First John 4, 10, 11, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God is so loved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We flippantly throw that word around so much. I love you. I love you. Right? I can remember a time that I called a cobbler. Now, I know I've just dated myself here. I'm not talking about fruit and flour. I'm talking about a shoe repair person called a cobbler, okay? Some of you are shaking your head and the other <laughs> like this, and others are going, what? Right? I literally asked this guy, hey, what time do you close? He told me, I said, I got a pair of shoes I need you to fix, so on and so forth. And my late wife was sitting over here, and I get ready to hang up the phone. I said, love you, take care. Right? And she looks at me and says, did you just tell the cobbler that you love him? And I looked at her and I said, I sure did. I mean, it wasn't, the, I mean, I was like, what a dumb thing to do, right? 
And I know the cobbler had to hang up and say, what a dumb thing to do. We use this word love. I love pizza. I love this. I love flowers. I love that. God loved us and He sent His Son. He teaches us how to love my neighbors. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, it says, And the second is like unto this, unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, loving your neighbors can be difficult. Depending on who your neighbors are. And I had a neighbor. I wasn't yet saved, and then I got saved. So when I wasn't yet saved, and he would knock on the door, and that's how he did it. Right? Like, I'm a, I'm a seven knocker. Seven every time. Very consistent. PJ! I open up the door. T. T. T for T- Terry. T. TJ, not PJ. Your pine cones are in my yard again. And what do you want me to do about it? He said, I just cut my grass shift and they're all over again. I said, well, you know I'm facing a back surgery. This is 1990-ish, right? I said, you know I'm facing a back surgery. I, I can't bend over. I said, I mean, my kid's like three. She's not going to go out and pick them up. And I'm, I'm not sending my wife over to pick up icons. I mean, I bought the house. And yeah, the tree's on my yard, but no, so I'm not doing that. Well, this is, this is ridiculous. This is just ridiculous. I've never lived anybody, next to anybody like you. I, I'm really sorry, but I'm not picking up your pine. And he'd slam the door, I'd shut the door and he'd walk away, mad. Month goes by or something like that. PJ! I'm like, it's a T, right? He was really hard to love, right? When I got saved, it wasn't quite as difficult to love him. Because I didn't look at him the same way that I looked at him before. I looked at him as someone who was feeble and weak and needed nourishment. He needed somebody to love him in spite of that. I physically got a little bit better after the surgeries, and so I didn't mind picking up a few of them, right? But I gotta be honest with you, some of us don't love our neighbors as ourselves. We look out at people that are out here that dress differently than us. I met a guy this morning with a purple heart, license plate. He had barrels in his ears, right? You think I thought about those barrels in his ears? I just wanted to shake the hand of a man got a purple heart. I just wanted to love on him. I handed him one of our prayer cards. If there's anything I can do for you, man, let me know. My goodness gracious. I don't care what you... Look, I got a tattoo when I was younger. Right? I don't, I don't visibly have it out. Now this tattoo is very common, but some people out there... Oh, did you just say that? Right? Just look at that. Man. I don't mind you nudging somebody, but I sure don't think we're supposed to judge people. How to love my spouse. In Ephesians 5, 25-26. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. Husbands, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not easy. They make dinners my wife is big on this, and I'm very, I'm very, I told you, sometimes I don't get invited back, sometimes I don't get invited to dinner because I was so truthful about lunch, right? And she'll look at me, she's like, do you like this? And I'm like, not a lot, not a lot, enough, but not a lot. And she's big into, her dad was 93 when he died, so the depression and all of that, and whatever was in the house got cooked, I mean, and, and, and eaten, and that was it. I mean, whatever's there. And so she's like chopped from the Food Network. She just brings all these things together and voila. And I'm like, wow, that is unique. I've never seen anybody cook anything like that before, right? And I know she'll watch this and she's not here and I'm good. Kathy, you know I love you no matter what, right? But one day, my sweet bride, I was gone from the home and my kids were home and um, and she had watched Emily Lagasse and so she was making this you know, Emerald Lagasse would say, you know, throw 30 cloves of garlic in there, right? Bam, right? And then you grab 10 lemons and just squeeze them and it's just, oh, just throw them all in there. Well, she's a literal thinker. So she got 30 cloves of garlic and she got 10 lemons and put in there. She was sick. She couldn't taste anything herself, sinus problems and all that. And my kids sat down to eat supper that night and, 
It was, <laughs> the looks on their face was one thing when she sat, she said, but when I tasted it, she said, and I could taste how, how much lemon, how much garlic in there, right? But even through those times. You know when they pull into the garage? Not that it's ever happened in my home. Not saying that. And the car is really close to the garage wall. And they feel a little tug. And they just say, eh, I don't know what that was. And they keep going through and it rips the side panel off. Even then. Right? Love your spouse. I've beat up a little bit there on my wife, but my wife is a saint on this earth. She has to deal with this. She loves this. In spite of it. When people ask me, how are you doing today? I said, well, my wife still thinks I'm just right. And I don't get it. Because I know I'm not. I know there's so many times that she wants to go left and I go right. There's so many times that she wants to eat this and I eat that. There's so many times that she wants to watch this and I'd rather watch that. And so many times that she acquiesces because of her love for me. Guys, if we love them like Christ loves us, we won't have half the issue. We won't have half the issue. But ladies, I can be honest with you. Chicken or egg, you've got to act lovely. And sometimes you don't act lovely. Sometimes it's hard to love people that don't act lovely. And so God is telling us, guys, you put the first effort out. Someone's got to go first. God says it's on us, man. Not on them. It's on us. How to love my enemies. I went a little early with my neighbor, but the enemy, the neighbor, and all of that kind of comes together here. And this is coming from Matthew 5, 43 uh, uh, through 48. As soon as I find it on here, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, that what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans the same? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, when you do that, you squelch a lot of problems. When you go into the, to the restaurant and you're trying to get something ordered and the person behind the counter could care less about you being in front of them. Are you going to give them what they're giving you? Or are you going to kill them with kindness? Right? Heap lumps of coal on their head. Keep them nice and warm. And that happened to me this summer. I walked in and the manager... The manager. Now the young man comes to the counter. Young black guy comes to the counter. Super duper nice guy to me. Sweet, kind, just great guy. Like, I want to say, hey, get him to train all of your people because he knows what he's doing. Right? And here this bitter lady comes walking up to me. I said, hey, how are you doing today? And she said, it's just one of those days. And this other lady next to me, I said, well, is there anything I can pray for you for to make it better? No, 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 that's not going to help. And she looks at me and she said, man, she don't know what she just told you, does she? I said, I'm still praying for her. And I talked with her and I tried to help her see that he had a more pleasant, palatable attitude. Right? And that she did not have quite as palatable attitude. And that she might learn from him. And I'm sure that didn't go well for her. Because she was not ready to receive that. So you have to be careful when you do this. Because you've got to pray for the right words to say. The right time to say those words. And you've got to pray that when the heart hears whatever those corrective words are. That the heart's prepared to hear them. So they're softer. and They're more tender. Now I didn't say it spitefully to her. But I assure you she did not hear it the way I intended those words to be heard. Two more. 
11. God's word equips me for the victory over Satan and temptation in Ephesians 6, 17. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You want to defeat Satan? Pick up the word. If you don't have the word with you, physically, your Bible with you, if Satan's attacking you, guess why he wanted us to memorize his word? Because we can quote his word back at Satan, and guess what he will do? He will flee you. He'll leave you alone. Because he doesn't want that to happen. He wants disunity. But you can have victory in Jesus. And finally, God's Word provides the blessing of God in my life. In Psalm 19, there's five little points here. God, God's Word revives, revives my soul. In 19.7, it's A, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. God's Word gives me wisdom. God's Word gives me wisdom. In 19.7, B, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And it doesn't get much simpler than this. I mean, I'm telling you, it does not get much simpler than this. And God is making me wiser because I'm listening to Him and I'm, and I'm counseling with others that I trust that are godly men and women. Don't go to people that you know full well aren't in the Word of God. You're just going to get, yeah, 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 right back from them. God's Word gives me joy. Psalm 19.8 The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Letter D, God's Word opens my eyes in Psalm 19.8b. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I go back to the enemies and I go back to the neighbor. When God starts talking about the eyes, this is really pretty important to me because I've had five, four eye surgeries. And the fourth eye surgery, I had a retinal tear. Anybody out there ever suffered with retinal tears? You know what I'm talking about. So it's like peeling the wallpaper off the back of your eye. And that's not a good thing to do. And it happened on its own. So they did the surgery. Boom. A week later, it tore on the other side. So it's like putting a, king, a queen-size sheet on a king-size bed. It tore. And you're putting it over here and it flips up off that end. That's what happened to me. Got it fixed. And then, had a third surgery. Because something else happened to it. And then I had to have... Uh, uh, the, uh, what is that thing that, uh, 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 where you get, uh, they take it off and put you a new lens on there. Um, cataract. Had a cataract removed. Man, I was, man, everything was great. 2015. 20, not the year. That was the strength of my vision. 2015. Not 2020, but 2015. Both eyes. And then it tore again. And at the end of that surgery, they didn't ask me. The doctor was gone. I told them, there's pain in my eye. I've never experienced pain. Well, just, do you have any pain medicine at home? The nurse asked me this. Nurses aren't supposed to do this. Do you have any pain medicine at home? Just take a quarter of whatever you have at home. Take some Tylenol. Drive home an hour and a half. My wife gets me home. I'm in so much pain, I, 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 I don't know what to do. I call the doctor back. Little Doogie Hauser. I dated myself again. Little Doogie Howser, little young guy, guys. He says, well, you, you come on back up here. We need to look at it. So we drive an hour and a half back up there. I'm nauseous. I'm, I, I just, my gyroscopic thing was up, interrupted in my body. I get up there. He looks at it. His words are, at least it's not in the 90s. Well, that tells me it's in the 80s. But it's supposed to be in the 20s or less. How did it get up that high? Well, they sent me back home. They gave me some nausea medicine at Walgreens. I went to a hotel. I couldn't ride anymore. I said, Kathy, please stop. I can't move. I can't walk hardly. She got me to the room and I laid there and suffered. And it just leaked all night long. It just leaked all night long. Got up the next morning. He calls the doctor who had flown himself to Colorado and finds out that it's still in the 50s. It's gone down some, but it's still in the 50s. It's not supposed to be that high. The only way it can be that high is that the formula isn't prepared properly. So what happened? So when I look out of this right eye, if you want to do this, you can indulge me. Close one eye and put your fingertip in front of the other eye. And what you're looking at there is the peripheral around the tip of your fingertip. That's what I see. I can't see the camera. I can't see anybody there. I can tell there's somebody over there. And I can see right to here. This is my scope. I have 
every right to be mad at this guy. Right? I'm blind now because they missed their formula. So people would say, well, you just need to sue them, this, that, and the other. And year goes by and it didn't happen. And uh, they knew what they were doing, and I did not. But I want you to understand something. As I read this to you, um, this was given to me the day that I committed to share the gospel with my doctor. A friend of mine sent me this. It's from Oswald Chambers, my utmost for, the, for his highest. 2 Timothy 4.6 says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Are you ready to be poured out as an offering? It is an act of your will, not your emotions. Tell God you're ready to be offered as a sacrifice for Him. Then, accept the consequences as they come. Without any complaints, in spite of what God may send your way, God sends you through a crisis in private where no other person can help you. From the outside, your life may appear to be the same. But the difference is taking place in your will. Once you've experienced the crisis in your will, you will take no thought of the cost when it begins to affect you externally. If you don't deal with God on the level of your will first, the result will be only to arouse sympathy for yourself. So, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar, Psalm 118.27. You must be willing to be placed on the altar and go through the fire. Willing to experience what the altar represents. A burning, purification, and a separation, but for only one purpose. The elimination of every desire and affection not grounded in and directed toward God. But you don't eliminate it. God does. You bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar and see to it that you don't wallow in self-pity once the fire begins. Woo! After you've gone through the fire, there will be nothing that will be able to trouble or depress you. When another crisis arises, you will realize that things cannot touch you as they used to do. So what fire lies ahead in your life? Tell God that you're ready to be poured out as an offering and God will prove himself to be all you ever dreamed he would be. He opened my eyes. See, I don't know what faith-strengthening exercises God has brought you through. But, but in my life, I came to a point in 99 when God said, not now in becoming an Awana missionary. And it took me a long time to find out why not now. It took me six months, to, and then I went to a revival service and God revealed to me that there was bitterness in my heart toward my mom. And there was anger about the way that I had been raised. And there was frustration. And this psychiatrist who, who got my answers, he kept reading all of these answers, and all of these answers and all the ways that they ask you all of these questions, they kept leading to... This guy's got some underlying bitterness and anger and frustration and pain and hurt. and He needs to get this dealt with. When I got to the revival service, the fifth day of a two-week revival, God said, you need to forgive your mom. I didn't want to. When someone tells you you're never going to amount to a hill of beans, I'm a city kid from Asheville, Ohio. I didn't even know what a hill of beans was. One day my wife planted beans out in the garden. She said, it's going to make a great hill of beans one day. And I was like, that's what she meant? Had no idea. Do you have to blow that stupid horn inside the house? Can't you go outside and play that thing? Right? When it came time to practice for band. So there was so much negativity going on in my life and there were all these kind of threats of, of anger and, and manipulation and all these things going on. But you know what I found out later? I mean, I, I did. I, I called my mom and I asked my mom to forgive me. She didn't think she had to. She didn't think she should, but she did. And I'm so thankful. Awana called me back and said, do you still believe God's calling you to be a missionary? Absolutely. Well, how are things coming along? Here, let me explain to you what God's done in my life. And then I started school January the 20th of 2020. And February the 4th, we became the missionaries for the state of Mississippi. 19 days later, my sister called me and said, Mom's in the hospital in Ohio. See, mom lived her life the way that she wanted to live her life. She's a brittle diabetic. Just out of control diabetes. I, I mean, just the, the change alone for her of life. And then gallbladder surgeries and all these other surgeries and all these uh, stroke and all these things. 
all this stuff started piling up on her, and, and I just think that my mom was very ill. But my mom had forgiven me. I flew home on the 24th. My sisters and my uncle came in on the 25th. And she died on February 26th. And so all the things that I thought I was going to be able to show mom, that I would amount to a hill of beans, that, that, that being a faith, faith-supported missionary with four mouths to feed, you wake up every morning and there's four little robins looking for you to put the worms in their mouth. That God was going to provide the funds that we needed to take care of our family. She was so mad about that. You're working for the post office. You're making great money. You don't need to be doing this. What, are you going to go to churches and beg them for, for money and food? No, Mom, that's not what we're doing. All of that was gone. I had walked in there that morning. I don't know if she could hear me. I hope she could. I don't know if my mom is in heaven or not. I have no assurance that she's told me. She told me that she forgot more about the Bible than I'll ever know. My hope and my prayer is that my mom, when she was a young girl, either through vacation Bible school, either through church attendance that my granny would take her to, some way, some shape, some form, in her younger years, that she had asked Jesus to forgive her of her sins and put her faith and trust in Him. And here's why I hold on to that. Because God tells me in His Word, nothing can pluck me from my Father's hand. If she did that when she was young, then I'll see her when I get to heaven. I don't know how it's all going to work. But I know this. I looked at my mom, and I reached down and whispered in her ear that I loved her. And I thanked her for forgiving me. And she's gone. Fast forward eight years. I kiss my wife goodnight. My son and his best friend are in the other room of the hotel. We're preparing for Bible quiz the next morning. I hear a sound at 3.30 in the morning. I crawl over my wife to get the light on. She had the light on her side of the bed. And my wife is in obvious distress. I pick up the phone. I call the front desk. The front desk says, we're going to call 911 for you. I hung up. They called me back said, don't hang up. We're going to patch you through. They patched me through. They picked her up in six minutes' time. I sent my son out front before they got back there to her. At 5.02 that morning, doctor walked through the doors. She was gone. She has gone. God had her. She's in heaven. She put her faith and trust in the Lord and he said, it's time, my child. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't like it. I didn't understand it for some time. Still don't, really. Completely understand it. But I know my God is sovereign, right? He's sovereign. And, and what God was doing was God moved me to where I live now because God knew that she was going to die one day and God knew that my pastor that I had had a sister who had a wife who had a baby sister who had been praying for 41 years for a mate. That means they've been praying for me since I was four. Right? A family has been praying for me. They didn't even know who I was since I was four years old. And don't you think the introductions in my little town didn't take place? Do you know Miss Pat's little sister? Why, she's a nurse for 18 and a half years, and you know what? She's been on five foreign mission trips, and you're a missionary, aren't you? And I've looked at you more in the eye than I ever did her. I was just like, I'm not ready for this. I, I'm still grieving and mourning my, my wife's passing. But it became obvious and clear to me that God wanted me to talk to her. And I talked to my brother-in-law, and he came over and shared with me, and he went back home and told his wife, and she about did a jig on the table and was so excited. He said, Pat, don't you say nothing to her. He might not call her tomorrow. July the 2nd that year, I dialed her phone. I hung it up, I dialed it, and hung it up, I dialed it, and hung it. I had a flip phone back then. Y'all remember those, right? And finally, it hung up, but not in time. She answered it before it hung up. I said, TJ who? <laughs> I made an impression on her. And then we talked about 45 minutes. We set up a time to go meet to eat the next night. And we sat there for four hours. It was as though we knew each other forever and ever and ever. And I love Kathy. I'm blessed to have Kathy in my life. She knows I miss their mom. She allows the kids and me to miss their mom. Every woman wouldn't do that. Every man wouldn't do that. But it's because of her faith in Christ and the strength, strength exercise, strength faith-strengthening exercises that God brought her through for 41 years. Fast forward a year and a half, she's 43. I walk up in my daughter's house. I got a brand new three-day-old granddaughter. I'm so tickled pink and proud. And I hear my wife crying. 
And I get upstairs and I see her in the bathroom with the Bible in one hand and a little apparatus <laughs> about this big. And some color had changed on the little apparatus. And she looked at me and said, we're going to have a baby. And then I started ugly crying. <laughs> and I said, I'm 46. And she said, we're still having a baby. And I wish I had a picture of it for you. Next Saturday, my bonus named Jonas will turn 12. He's 5'4", 210-pound offensive lineman. He's my retirement program. I, he asked me when I was going to retire, and I said, when the NFL calls my house, son, you just keep hitting them blocks. I said, why do you think I feed and water you twice, twice a day, son? Right? I love them dearly. So my faith-strengthening exercises have opened my eyes that if I get in here, we win. And if I leave this closed, I lose. God's going to win no matter what. It's going to be His way. It's a matter of, is it going to be His way with a whipping on my behind or not? Because He loves me no matter what, and He will whip me no matter what. And the last one is Psalm 19.11. God's Word warns me. <laughs> Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Do what he says. TJ, it's just as simple as it could be. Don't look at things that I shouldn't look at. Don't hear things I shouldn't hear. Don't say things I shouldn't say. Do things that I should do. Talk to people about Jesus. I have a sweet lady that I love her to death. She has since gone on to be with the Lord. But Mama Peg was one of my greatest prayer warriors. Mama Peg, at the end of her life, um, she had scoliosis all of her life. And at the end of her life, um, she said something to, to me that just made a huge impact in my life. Great Sparks Awana leader. Great Sparks Awana leader. Baked cakes in our little town. Had a little bitty shed that she baked cakes in our town. And, and literally, there was a kitty cat cookie jar there. You take the head off the kitty cat cookie jar, throw your cake money in there, go over to the freezer that she baked for you that week and pull out of the freezer and leave. Trusted everybody. Gave away so much stuff. Couldn't stand. Hardly at all. Rolled around in an office chair as she baked 20 to 30 cakes a week. Right? Mama Peg never let things that she couldn't do keep her from doing the things that she could do. And neither should we. And I don't know where you're at in your walk, but I do know this. If you do not personally know Jesus Christ because you have not put your faith and trust in Him, you will be separated from God when you take your last breath on this earth. That is the bottom line. If you do know Him, you should be sharing that news with everybody that God puts in your path and clearly tells you.